Good morning, everyone. Greetings from the brethren, your brethren and friends at North Little Rock. I was thinking I was going to be pretty safe coming in right at the last minute, but yeah, Daryl knows that trick. Huh? What I'd like to speak to you about this morning is um, this talk is almost made for this meeting hall here because of the the painting that you have in the front. I want to start off and look at Isaiah 51. If we can all turn to Isaiah 51. Listen to me. You who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth to you in this pain. When he was but one, I called him, when I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden in her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of melody. It speaks of that in verse 3, like the garden of Eden will be made like the garden of Eden. Speaking of the future time when that garden of Eden will be restored. You know, I've oftentimes looked at this painting and it's, it's, it's a very simple painting. It's not a masterpiece as far as the, the work of it. But it's a masterpiece in the message that it brings forth, in the message that's contained in it. Just some things about Eden. What I want to speak about this morning is Eden, the Garden of the Lord, as opposed to the Garden of Eden. There's two different terms there, and it's very subtle. Eden, the Garden of the Lord, and the Garden of Eden. Now, Eden has been a field of blood from the beginning of the contest between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent until now. And will yet to continue to be until the serpent power be broken upon the mountains of Israel. Death began here with the slaying of the sacrifice, of the first sacrifice, and the first murder occurred here with the slaying of Abel. The great battle of the end, time, will also occur here in Armageddon. What does Eden consist of? And what is the difference in the terms Eden, the Garden of the Lord, and the Garden of Eden? And why did Brother Bachman choose this picture to paint? To illustrate God's plan. Why did Albert Hall name his book From Eden to Eden? Why did Yahweh choose to plant a garden in Eden to place man into? And why did Moses preserve the record for the following generations? The garden foreshadows the conditions to be expected during the millennium. Let's compare Isaiah 51.3, which we just read, to Revelation 2.7. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the Ecclesiastes. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, eating means the pleasure or delight. Now, the garden was in Eden, which encompassed an area much larger than the walled garden. We know that Adam, along with his wife, and his future family was driven from the garden after the fall. It remained outside of its walls from that time forward in history. We have the case of Cain, after killing his brother, being driven from the face of the Lord, east of Eden. He was in Eden, the land of, not the garden, and was driven from it towards the east. From the time of Adam until this day, Yahweh's people and others that have some knowledge have longed to enter again into that Edom and shall be. Transgression, both Adam's and Cain's, drove them from Eden. And in the painting that we have here, we have artistically illustrated God's plan from beginning to completion. We have man and Adam driven from the presence of God by transgression and the path outside of the garden of delight taken to enter into its protective walls again. In the illustration, man enters in the same garden as was left. Now we know that this is not the same man just as it's not the same garden. He enters in from a different entrance than he was put out on. The Lord's garden is much grander than that that was left 6,000 years ago. How grand is it and what does Eden consist of? Now Abram was to go out into the land and look in each direction. All that he could see was promised to him and to his seed. In Genesis 13, 14 and 15 we read, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot had separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Now Abram was not at the place described as the garden, for it was where the four rivers came together. But he was near the, so the city of Sodom, just as the following, just from following the departing of Lot. Just as he was to look in all directions to see the land promised, so will the people of the earth come from all directions to enter into the, to the Lord's garden. In Luke 13, 29, we read, and they, shall come, and they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. Now there is evidence that, that Eden 
is, is a larger area by reference to the kings in Eden. And we have the king of Tyre is said to be in Eden, the garden of God, in Ezekiel 28, 11-13, which states, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus says the Lord of God, the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, and the emerald, and the cubicle, and the gold, and the workmanship of thy tablets, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Now when speaking of the greatness of the king of Assyria and likening him to the cedar in Lebanon in Ezekiel 31.3, the trees of Eden, or the kings or rulers of Eden, were jealous of him. And Ezekiel 31.3 says, Behold, the Assyrian was in cedar, was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches, it was a shadowing shroud and a high stature, and the top was among the thick boughs. And again in verse 9, I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. And of course, these trees of Eden are these rulers of the, are the kings in this area. So this is establishing the size of this Eden. That's, speaking, that's spoken of here. Now this puts the area of Eden to be of a larger area than Geraldine thought. It extended at least from the Mediterranean Sea coast of Tyre to the southern tip of modern Iraq, fixed by the river names that were watered in the land of Eden from the garden. It encompassed an area that included several kings as brought out by the trees in the garden. Furthermore, it must be said that it encompassed the land promised to Abraham, or to Abram. In Genesis 15:18, it states, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. This land is the delight of the Lord. This is Eden, the Lord's garden. What then was the Garden of Eden? We are told in Genesis 2 that Yahweh Elohim planted a garden towards the east in Eden. There he placed man, which he had made on the sixth day of creation. Why plant this garden, and how was it different than the area outside of its boundary? Now we can speculate from Genesis 2-3 that it was much more delightful than all the area outside of it, because no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. So outside of this garden was barren, so to speak. Now from this we can see that the garden was formed complete, and Yahweh had care over it to cause only trees pleasing to the sight and good for food are fruitful to flourish within its confines. He had created the earth and began the cycle of plants sprouting and growing which would soon cover the surface of the earth 
But the garden he had created complete and full, set apart from the outside for the purpose of placing man into the garden to care for it and for the garden to provide for man. It was a haven for those within. Inside the garden was purposed and order and careful oversight. In contrast, the outside of the garden was wild, unattended, and left to its own care. All manner of plants, whether good for food or not, had sprouted. No order other than that was natural was in place. Now, of course, we know that there was a curse upon the land after the sin, which probably made it worse after that. Both thorns and thistles would grow without restraint. The evident care of Yahweh would have been visible to those within his garden. You know, Adam and Eve could look outside that garden and see the great contrast between where they were and what was outside of God's protective hand. Now, formed from four rivers, a single river flowed through the garden to supply its need for water. If we turn to Genesis 2.10, we read, A river went out of Edom of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Now in Scripture, the number four denotes creative work of organization, the world number. Now, if we picture these rivers, instead of the river coming out of Eden and splitting up into four, it was four rivers that were joined together and watered the garden, because it said those four rivers watered the garden in one river. So it's four coming together for one to water the garden. These four rivers came together as one before entering the garden. Again, consider the significance of the number, numerical one denoting unity. Yahweh, the unity of Yahweh. Now in Deuteronomy 6.4 we hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Out of His creative work, the Lord provided for all their natural and spiritual needs in the Garden of Delight. Now the first river was Pison, meaning increase, and is associated with three precious articles, gold, medellum, and onyx, corresponding to faith, a pearl, and the stones of the memorial. Gold is the faith that has been tried and put through the purifying fire. The pearl is that representing the truth that all else was sold to buy. The memorial stones bore the names of the children of Israel upon the shoulders of the ephod worn by the priest. In Exodus 28.12, the river flowed around the land of Havilah. Havilah was, has the meaning of circle. That in turn has no end and often refers to eternity or without end. The second river is named Gihon and means bursting forth. Also the name of the only natural spring of water in or near Jerusalem is the Fountain of the Virgin, which rises outside the city walls on the west bank of the Kidron Valley. This also is where the son of David, Solomon, was anointed and proclaimed king. The Gihon flowed around Cush. Now the third river was Hittakel, it means rapid. This is also known as the Tigris that flows east of Assyria. And finally, the fourth is named 
was the Euphrates River, for which the name means fruitfulness. So in these names, we have the following terms. Increase, or within this increase, of increase of faith, truth, memorial, eternity. We have bursting forth, and we have rapid, and we have fruitfulness in these names of these rivers that all came together and watered the garden. All these brought into one to furnish the inhabitants of the garden, Yahweh being the one source of all they required. Now within this, this garden was placed two distinct trees, the tree of life that carried with it no restrictions, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil that was forbidden by God. Both must have been pleasing to the sight and good for food that describe the trees of the garden. Both, because if you remember when you describe the plants of the garden, all things in there were, were pleasing and good for food. Both were within the grasp of man and woman. Was the tree of knowledge inherently bad or evil? Knowledge of good is not wrong, for we must know what is good to seek it. Knowledge of evil is not necessarily bad, for we must know it to avoid it. H.P. Mansfield suggests that good and evil represent the extremes of knowledge and thus serve as an idiom for completeness, comprehending all within the two opposites. Lack of knowing good and evil indicates immaturity. Before they partook of this tree, Adam and Eve were in a state of innocence and immaturity in that they did not comprehend experimentally the things that make for good and those that make for evil. Now he also suggests that it was not the right time for their exposure and would have been so introduced in their future given the chance. Now remember that the Elohim said in Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. They had gained similar knowledge as the Elohim. Therefore, the like knowledge was not that, was not what was evil. The evil was in the tree, or the evil was not the tree, but in the lie told by the serpent, which in turn led the woman and man to transgress the law and to commit sin. So the actual evil of the tree was the, the command set forth and that the man breaking that law set forth by God. Evil is sin's character and is exhibited by the serpent's words against the express command of Yahweh. The tree was an object, and the sin was the act brought about by the evil of the lie. Somewhere within the garden was the other distinct tree. This was the tree of life. No restriction to its fruit is recorded. The fruit was free and open, but without enticement from the serpent. We can speculate that they did not eat of it because they failed to receive the light from it. And it's more than speculation, but it's, it's pretty much a fact that they didn't eat of it. Now it continued to have its effect even after the fall of man, 
For as we read in Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now the tree had no magic short of the promise of God and its effects. Why, instead of thrusting the man and woman from the garden, didn't he remove the effects of the fruit? They had lost the required obedience to remain in his presence. Now they were separated from him by nature. But the promise remained, and therefore the tree continues. Future obedient ones would have the chance to partake of this tree. I believe figuratively, as recorded in Revelation 2.7. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit saith unto the ecclesiastes. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Will this tree be the ruler in Eden? Now Adam and his wife were cast out but not before death was experienced by, by both of them in the observance of the animal sacrifice. They now had experienced evil in the lie told and its consequence and good in the mercy of the sacrifice. They now had experience of good and evil. They were cast out and outside of the presence of Yahweh. They now were in the land of the four rivers representing the world. They were in the land without the trees pleasing to the sight and good for food. For the ground now grew both thorns and thistles, and they no longer would eat of the fruit but plants of the field. What would gain them entrance again into the garden but a promise made in the future to faithful Abram? All of their children were born outside of the garden and without the fruit within. They all, through the ages, had to look to the garden of the, of the Lord promised within the land to Abraham. Now remember that we started, or that we stated that the garden foreshadows the conditions to be expected during the millennium. Let's look at Isaiah 51, verse 3. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. In all her wildernesses, He will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of melody. Yahweh, through the account of Moses, has given us a glimpse of His future kingdom. Now we often say that there's not much written concerning the details of the kingdom. But if we look to what is recorded in, recorded in the garden, we, small, we see a small representation of the future Eden. We understand that the closeness of Elohim to Yahweh's people. We see work being done to keep the garden. We understand that all will be provided by Yahweh, bursting forth in fruitful abundance at an instant when needed. All will have the complete faith Worshiping in truth with the memory of the great mercy shown by the sacrifice of Yahweh's Son. 
All the earth will be a part of this kingdom, but there still remains to be a set-apart place in the garden of the Lord. There will be a holy oblation area within the land boundaries of the twelve tribes described in Ezekiel 48. This will be an area different than outside, special and longed for. We read from Isaiah 2, 2 and 3, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted upon, above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come, come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Within this garden of the Lord will stand the tree of life, king of all the earth, from whom those who partake of his fruit will receive eternal life. The tree that was first rejected now is sought after. His fruit is that which is from Yahweh. What has been foreshadowed in type in the garden is now much grander. Now God's people are mature and ready for complete knowledge. In the world they had experienced evil. Now in the kingdom they can truly experience good. The future tree of the knowledge of good and evil may be the multitudes that go out as one body to teach. In the Garden of Eden, its inhabitants are immature and not ready for it. But now in the Garden of the Lord, his plan is in maturity. And the knowledge is spread throughout the earth. Eden has taken on the characteristics of the garden in the beginning. All long to enter and be a part of this wonderful fulfillment of the type that was in the beginning. God's plan has come full circle and the man of Brother Bachman's painting has entered again into that which was left and journeyed from Eden to Eden. And I'd like to close by turning to Isaiah 51.3 once again. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all with her waste places, and He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And in Revelation 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the ecclesiastes. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Thank you.